Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. I'm trying to think of what day it is. It's the day before New Year's Eve. It's actually Wednesday night. Keely, Yor and myself are recording this podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed your holiday. We've got another one coming up with New Year's, of course. But we wanted to get in a show to answer some of the questions and talk about some of the news around the USC Trojan football team. There have been some defections. Guys going to the NFL, some players entering the transfer portal so we'll break that down and then answer all of your questions and you got a lot of them if you have questions for us podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address or if you can call or text us at 424-254-9141 is the number send us a text leave us a voicemail we got a couple voicemails we got some texts we got some voicemails that were a little too long to play so i'll try to summarize those um and if you have apple podcasting the app on any of your devices you can leave us a five-star rating a positive review is always awesome with any comments, feedback, suggestions. Plus, you can subscribe and subscribe to the podcast. Parastyle Podcast on there. Keely Yor usually reads these down. I don't think we have any new ones this week, but I finally got an iPhone, Keely. I can now use the Apple Podcasting app myself. How exciting. Now you can put yourself on the spot and have to read some of the reviews. So there you go. Exciting. Yeah. You can pull them up on the web, so I do that sometimes. But just having okay. it, you know. I, I want to be able to do it on my phone, you know, so it'll be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm kind uh, of bringing you into this century, Ryan, giving you some iPhone tips. <laughs> yeah, my my Google Pixel for a while. And uh, no, so we're recording this uh, late. It's actually 7 p.m. on uh, Wednesday night because I was trying to do this phone thing all day. I had to go pick up my car, like all this crazy stuff. But technology, first world problems. But uh, yeah, so I got an iPhone now. Uh, so we'll uh, be able to play with that a little bit. And we got to talk some. USA football, as always, before we do, I just want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, what an amazing year uh, for Trader Joe's uh, helping us out. And uh, we hope, you know, we try to spread the word. I went in there the other day to pick up. I, we talk about the fresh flowers thing. Some really cool flowers. A friend of mine ended up having a medical procedure, and I brought some flowers over, and they were greatly appreciated. So they're really cool, not expensive at all. So, you know, you can pick up some snacks, whatever you want to do. You get some good fresh produce, some cheese. Maybe a six-pack of beer, some wine. But if you want to bring flowers to a special someone in your life, you can do that, too, at Trader Joe's. So thanks again to Trader Joe's. Been a great year with them. And uh, Keely, yeah, uh, you know, after the pandemic's over, we'll bring you some flowers from Trader Joe's. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, you- I was thinking about making a cheese board for New Year's Eve just to, you know, do something <laughs> to yeah. celebrate. So maybe go to Trader Joe's and pick up some flowers and some some little cheeses and stuff like that. Your roommates would appreciate that. You put a little bouquet of flowers on the exactly, coffee yeah. table or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. uh, are you a flower person? Do you like flowers? Not really. Of course, Ryan. Why would okay. I not love flowers? Flowers are well, great. They, they spruce up anything. Yeah. Some girls are just like, you know, I like flowers. I mean, I, you know, as a guy, you don't get them a lot. But, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like, no, nah, I'm not a big flower person. Like, oh, no, I think they're kind of cool. It's just a nice little gesture sometimes. So Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So go to Trader Joe's and do that. Uh, all right. Well, we got to get to some, uh, what do we like to call this? Uh, breaking news. Uh, there's been some uh, defections for the USC Trojan football team. I do, I apologize. I do have to update the scholarship distribution chart. 
And we'll do kind of a final update for that, and then it'll move forward to 2021 here. Um, but Keeley, so there was a, I mean, we'll start with a couple of players that have left and declared for the NFL draft. Not a surprise, but, you know, probably maybe the best player on offense and the best player on defense, potentially. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Elijah Barry Tucker and Talano Hufunga both declaring for the NFL draft. Obviously, we knew that was going to happen with Elijah Barry Tucker since he's already done that once before. Uh, definitely saved USC season coming back and helping out that offensive line. Big question marks going forward, how they're going to replace him and who's going to go at that left tackle spot. And then Talano Hufunga, just a bright spot on the defense. According to Pro Football Focus, he played 21 positions throughout the six games this season so he was just so versatile and so talented I'm bummed that we couldn't see him for six more games or for like a full regular season this year so but uh congrats to them and wish them the best going forward yeah for sure uh two stud players for USC and if you uh I don't know you a person that likes to watch a Christmas story Keely on the you know the TBS loop all day on Christmas I, I feel like you're going to, I might be fired for this, but I don't, Ryan. You you texted us twice on Christmas to watch it. And I was like, Ryan is really gung-ho about this. Oh, every year. I got to watch it like all the way through at least once. And then, you know, you have it on sometimes, you know, switch it around and football comes on or whatever. But um, there's one one scene where the father uh, with, the, you know, the famous lamp, you know, the, uh, the mm-hmm. fishnet stocking leg lamp that he wins as a major award. And he puts it in the window and the wife is you know, going nuts. She hates it. And she goes to water her plants and breaks the lamp. And he's he's so mad. And he says some kind of word as he's walking out to get the glue because they're out of glue. It, it sounds like Hufunga or something like that. So, so I would think about that. So I just thought about wow. that. Like, oh, yeah. It, it wasn't Hufunga, but it was something along those lines. Which kind of, he didn't know what to say. I was very curious where you were going to go with that. And that's not what I was expecting. So, yeah. Well, you know, do I need to that. say that? No. no. Is it like late on a Wednesday and like we're going to start <laughs> off weird tangents? Sure. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird doing a late night podcast that's not an emergency podcast. I feel like it's like it's very disorienting. <laughs> yeah, my emergency was just like technology getting stuff to work today. So uh, here we are. Uh, but that's OK. Yeah. So you know, check it out next year, Keely. It's a good one. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So moving on, Elijah Vera Tucker, Talanoa Funga. Uh, But there were also a couple of players that entered the NCAA transfer portal. Likely we're going to see more, likely see some guys transfer in, uh, but maybe give an update on those two guys. Yeah, so on Monday, Marquis Stepp entered the portal officially, and then Connor Murphy entered the portal on Tuesday. It's interesting because, you know, Twitter is always reactionary. And I think a lot of people thought the sky was falling. And it's kind of a mixed bag. Connor Murphy is a guy who never could really find a home on USC's defense, could never really crack the starting lineup. I know he was excited with a defensive change with Todd Orlando coming in. Maybe he could get into that starting lineup, but he just couldn't crack it. Um, he did get some playing time kind of in the in the scrappy games like Washington State where you knew USC was going to win and you know in that garbage time so uh, that's that's just expected for Connor Murphy now Marquis Step that's something that we had heard he was a little disgruntled and then pretty much right around when uh, the Oregon loss happened I was told that Marquis Step was entering the portal but it didn't come become official until uh, the Monday after this Monday so it's been something that he had thought about and and you know it, it a lot of guys you know, Matt Fink, they've gone into the portal and come back. Marquis Step, I don't see him being one of those guys. I think he's going to be really utilized somewhere else where, you know, they they've prioritized running the ball. So 
that's something to watch out for. How are USC's other running backs taking, you know, being a poor rushing offense this season and, and the future of that? You know, I, I know a lot of guys want to get the best out of their college career. And you just hear some rumblings that other guys, especially the running backs, are disgruntled on that front. So just something to keep an eye out for. We're, we're hearing some things behind the scenes. Yeah. the uh, I mean, the running back situation, we're probably going to talk about that a lot with some yeah. of the questions today. Uh, Connor Murphy, you know, you see him and Alawali Batiku, they were both sort of like these guys that were in that position, but never really, you know, did a whole lot. Uh, Greg Biggins tweeted out that he felt like Connor Murphy should be a, uh, a, a tackle, an offensive lineman. Um, I saw that, yeah. Fill out a little bit, so I don't know, we'll see. Connor um, Murphy was one of those guys who he he was kind of a practice player. Like he'd make critical plays in practice, but then it would never really transfer into games. He never had that consistency. So, you know, if you have multiple defensive line coaches and multiple coordinators and it just doesn't work out, then I think that's when you need to start. It makes sense to look at the portal. Yeah. Well, we wish all those guys uh, the best. It's been fun covering, you know, guys like. Tell Noah Funga are just amazing to cover, but uh, no, yeah, they're not going to be around uh, anymore. We we talked about the um, the bowl opt out, I believe, on the last podcast, or we, we definitely did on Tunnel Vision. Yes. Um, did you happen to catch any of the? Uh, so only two Pac-12 teams were in bowls, and uh, Colorado was one of them. They were in the bowl, the Alabama Bowl that USC would have likely been in, almost definitely, and against a familiar opponent. In uh, Texas, um, Bijan Robinson, a former USC commit, had a—I think he ran mm-hmm. for a thousand yards in that game or something—but uh, actually got the <laughs> doors blown off. I don't know. Did you, did you check any of that out, Keely? No, I saw the beginning of the game, but I was working on other stuff. So I think that's when USC. Uh, oh, I think it's also worth noting that uh, Andy Infield said that Drake London is going to focus on football. So I was actually working on that story while the the game was on. So oh yeah, uh, okay. So yeah, so Drake London's going to focus on football, not go uh, into play basketball this season. Infield's quote was kind of vague. It kind of implied that he wasn't going to play basketball at USC ever. Uh, but then he said this season, but given the way that London has been playing, if he has another season like he did, he probably won't even be around for next year's basketball season. So it kind of makes sense. So um, just an update there on Drake London. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot uh, about that. <laughs> I, I feel bad for uh, Jordan Moore, who, you know, he's the, you know, does the basketball uh, radio play by play and uh, loves to talk about the crossover stuff. So unfortunately, uh, Drake London won't be doing that anymore. But, you know, it, it makes sense. You want to focus on. Football, they got a lot of talent over on that USC basketball team. So I don't know if they really need them all that much. But, you know, I think it's it's probably better for him to focus on football. He's done a, a pretty darn good job. Yeah, <laughs> receiver yeah. There. yeah for sure. Kind of got snubbed, right? He didn't. Uh, did he make a all pack 12? Was he like honorable mention or something? I forget. I don't I don't he, know if he was. He was on PFF's all pack 12 team. And then he was a second teamer, I think, on the AP list. But he didn't get first team at all for like significant listings. So but in the Pac-12 itself, like their team. Yeah, uh, he, he didn't make it at all. And I, I yeah. think Chris Steele like tweeted in all caps, like where is Drake London on this? So I had no love for London. No, that was that was a little strange. And he like, I mean, he was the MVP of a couple of games, I think just, you know, some of the catches oh, he sure. made. USC's out of it if he doesn't make that fingertip grab against Arizona State to start the season. So, yeah, that you was know, insane. Yep. Um, the one where he caught the the one from Slovis and just ran it for a touchdown uh, and like was f- fumbling the ball and everything. It's just like get that that really woke USC up, you know. Yep. 
I don't think if he doesn't do that and doesn't go, you know, all like hero ball, uh, I don't think uh, USC wins that game either. So, I mean, you could you could say two games like without him, you don't win. Yeah, exactly. So a little weird that he was left off of some lists. Yeah. When you're, you only, you only won five and two of them, you can like directly attribute to him. That is like, okay. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He was definitely uh, important um, for USC. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do this? Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, start answering questions. Unless there anything else you got, Keely. No, I think so. I didn't comment on the Texas Colorado game, but yeah, that was. Oh yeah, okay, good. yeah, yeah, real quick. Well, you didn't get to see it though. It well, was, it was. Uh... I know it was a bad showing, and I know Bijan Robinson went off, which um, I think someone made the joke on Twitter that uh, Bijan Robinson was able to run against a Pac-12 team more than actual Pac-12 teams were, or anyone <laughs> on USC's team was. So uh, it's just. You know, one of those guys, I feel like we're kind of in that era where you keep hearing names that, oh, right, USC was after that guy, but he's on a different team and being successful. So it's kind of a sign of the times a little bit. When you follow recruiting and Gerard and, you know, our staff, we do, you know, do a great job. I'll pat everyone on the back. They're awesome at (laughs) at following these guys and uh, telling you about people that know. I always love um, seeing what those players do that you knew, like, were. USC was totally into them or trying to get them and they don't end up going there. And one of them is uh, Fred Warner. Um, so do you remember him? He ended up going to BYU was a linebacker and is just a stud for the San Francisco 49ers. And I was watching, they had a game on Amazon prime, uh, the Niners game. And I was watching that and you could listen to different commentators. And so Bucky Brooks and, uh, Daniel Jeremiah oh. and, and Joy Taylor were doing one of the feeds. So I was doing that and they, they kept talking about him. And, uh, you know, Daniel's a, a friend of the show and, you know, he loves following the site and stuff. I sent him a text and like, if he remembered, it, he's like, yeah, he didn't quite remember it. But that's one of those things like Gerard would always talk about Fred Warner. Like this guy's going to be amazing. And, and, you know, he is. So it's, uh, it's kind of funny when you see that guys that don't end up at USC, you're like, maybe they didn't recruit as hard or whatever. And, and our analysts are like, yeah, you should be recruiting this guy. And then he turns to be like an absolute stud. Yeah. Yeah. Or you just hear the casual like Jackson Carmen or something for Clemson and stuff like that. And you're like, right, that that was a USC target as well. It's just yeah. always like, oh, OK, it's just funny. I don't know. It's it's a weird circumstance. It'll be a little weirder like when if you know Bryce Young has like some amazing career at Alabama and like wins a couple of national championships. You're like, yeah, that was. Yeah. But it's a guy that's committed to your team. For a long time. Remember like Dalen Hayes at you know, yep. Notre Dame? Yep. Uh, anyone that's committed for quite a long time and they end up, you know, I don't, Hayes is doing pretty good there, right? He's not. Yeah, he was injured. But he, yeah, he's definitely one of those guys who who always is like flagged in my head because he told me when I asked him about the how solid his commitment to USC was. He was like, it's like a wedding ring. You don't take that off. You're proud of your commitment. <laughs> and then he ended up decommitting and going, going to Notre Dame. So always a memorable one in, for me in that sense. <laughs> I think we interviewed him at the Coliseum, right? Like, did yeah, we go over after a camp or something? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We met up at the Coliseum and then I, I think I interviewed him after a high school game as well. So interesting yeah. times in the recruiting world. It is. Yeah. You know, and obviously there's a lot of great players out there and you're not going to, you know, USC is not going to get them all. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they'll miss on a guy. Sometimes they'll like stop recruiting him. He ends up being good or, or not. You know, sometimes you avoid a guy and you're like, wow, that was a, you, you saved, you know, saved yourself some grief there by not recruiting that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. But other times it works the other way. You know, you, you don't really know all the time. But it is neat to kind of see. Like, I remember that name. Uh, but his name definitely, you know, Bijan's name came up a lot in that game. And, you know, 
Colorado just, I mean, man, they were just boat raced. It was close in the first half, but you could see Texas could pretty much just run the ball when they wanted to. They were doing some weird stuff. Like there was a fourth and one, like they were fourth and like inches. And they, you know, Texas went into like a shotgun and pitched it wide. And it was like, you know, could barely get back to the line of scrimmage. There's some weird stuff. You're like, what are you doing? Like you can push this team around. Um, but Texas did that. You know, they lose, uh, their starting quarterback and the backup comes in and throws for like four touchdowns. Like it was like, it was just like a different class of citizens out there. Uh, wow. you know, you, Carl Durrell is doing a great job. I think, you know, to go, uh, you know, to, to win four games in this crazy season, four and one or whatever it was, or was it five and one? I forget what it was. Um, but yeah, there, I think they were four and one and end up four and two. Um, but pretty amazing that he was able to do that in the first year without, spring practice without like meeting his guys until like February over zoom. Um, they, they did a pretty good job, uh, there, but Texas just seemed uh, a little more motivated and, uh, just a better, better team overall. So not a good showing for the PAC 12. Yeah. Uh, not right at all. Gate, but I got that one, right. I took Texas minus nine and a half and I was like, yeah, they're going to win by a lot. And they did. So I was, I was you know, feel, feel good about that one. Well done, Ryan. But I will say your Ryan prediction, you're 0 for 2 in my mind because you were doubting Herm Edwards, which has kind of worked out. And you thought Colorado was going to win zero games this season. So you're a little off on that front. <laughs> That's true. No, I mean, I think the preseason stuff, but I, I've turned like the Herm Edwards stuff. I talked to Chris Cartman about it early and it was just like, yeah, you know, OK, but, you know, he kind of convinced me that the, the team at the time they had like when he came in, they had like Nikhil Harry. And uh, I'm blanking on the quarterback's name, but they had a lot of experience. Um, and, you know, now they're recruiting well. They've hired well. And you, it's just a good system. They, they keep games close. And, uh, you know, obviously USC was really lucky to win that one this year. But I think Herm will be good. You know, Carl Durrell looks like they're going to get things going in the right direction. Uh, we'll see uh, Jed Fish, what he's going to do um, at Arizona. Not, yeah. Not super high expectations, but whatever. Yeah, that's come up a lot. interesting. You know? Mm-hmm. Bruce Weber did a good piece on him um, in The Athletic, if you want to check it out. And, uh, you know, sometimes you write good pieces about guys that you know well. He's he's a well-liked individual, you know, uh, around the football community. And it's I think he'll be a lot, a lot less prickly than Kevin Sumlin was, who wouldn't let you talk to anybody or see anything. Or I, I think you needed to open things up a little bit more there and kind of get people involved. And someone just sort of, like, kept it all closed. And then you're going to get a 12-game losing streak and you can't talk to anybody. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. You need to you need to make that program fun again. And, uh, you know, we'll see if uh, uh, Jed Fish is the guy to do it. Yep, we'll see. It'll be interesting because he's, oh, if you can, open it, if people can come, opening up spring camp to media and fans. So, nice to see open access. <laughs> yeah. I thought he, decla- he said that? He said he was yeah, going to do that? Yeah, apparently, yeah. So. Yeah, which is like, pretty much the exact opposite you know like if you're yeah. if, if you're in like a bad relationship and whatever is wrong like a is wrong you know you want to find b you know you want to do something completely different you know um yeah. and if this was all closed down in the last regime and you lost 12 games in a row this regime let's open things up and make things uh but i mean we saw that at usc when uh ed orgeron took over um you know just kind of change things around you just want to do something different than what the, the predecessor did and Especially if the predecessor was screwing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, All right. Oh, it's been a long tangent, Ryan. <laughs> sorry it about that. It was a long tangent. But there was some newsy stuff in there, too. So we got mm-hmm. some of that stuff. Um, let's take a break and come back and answer questions. Mm-hmm. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All righty. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Keely, Yor and Ryan Abraham. I want to play this drop for you. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God. This is always death. Yeah. We got a lot of questions to talk to the audience <laughs> about. Uh, Keely, we, we did get a voicemail, a uh, okay. passionate one, from Paul from Central Virginia. It was, I'm sorry, Paul, it was way too long. I can't play it. But he was saying, all I hear about when I, you know, we, he referenced our mailbag extravaganza episode, which mm-hmm. this is kind of going to be another one of those, I guess, because um, <laughs> there's a lot in the mailbag. Yeah. Uh, he goes, I hear Clay Helton's name. I don't hear Tim Drevno's name. He's not seeing the offensive line players get better. The run game is bad. And he's saying it's all on Tim Drevno. It's, it's his responsibility. You got to make a change there. Um, any initial thoughts uh, from Paul from Virginia, Central Virginia's voicemail? See, you know, it's hard to put it all on Tim Drevno because this is a layering effect of bad recruiting and bad continuity of coaching because prior to i believe i'm blanking on his name ryan who was before tim drevno uh oh uh, neil calloway neil calloway prior to Neil calloway there were like zach banner had five offensive line coaches in five years like there was not any sort of real development for usc's offensive linemen and so when you don't have like a a lot of talented players to develop. I don't think you can fully blame it on him unless he was slacking in recruiting, if that makes sense. But the crazy part is everyone's mad at Tim Dremno, but he's about to probably have back-to-back first rounders (laughs) in the NFL draft. So, I mean, yes, USC's offensive line has struggled. It needs to get better. But I think the reason why we mentioned Clay Hilton is probably because it's a wholesale change that we're mentioning. We're not trying to excuse Tim Dremno from it, but the offensive line definitely needs to get better. And Tim Drevno as position coach has to take some responsibility for that. So that's a mixed bag for me, Ryan. I don't know if that made sense. It does Keely. It it does make sense. And and Paul, one of the things is there've been such wholesale changes. And one of the wholesale changes was, you know, changing out the offensive line coach when, when uh, Neil Calloway and uh, T Martin were both let go during the season uh, and you moved Tim Drevno over and that was weird from the beginning. You hired Drevno and you have him as the running backs coach. Mm-hmm. didn't make a lot of sense, but it sort of seemed like he was the offensive line coach in waiting. So that's your offensive line coach in waiting. He's now the offensive line coach. Um, I, I, again, it's, it's hard not to have this all reflect on Clay Helton because he's already replaced the offensive line coach when you were like desperate and needed 
change to happen. And you, this is who you hired. And if that guy's not right, do you have any kind of confidence that the next guy is going to be right? There's only so much you can rearrange those deck chairs <laughs> that the Titanic yeah. is still sinking, you know? So it's, it's hard to point out. Yeah. All USC's problems are going to go away if you get rid of the offensive line coach. Like, well, you've done that for every position coach already. Like, I don't know yeah. what to, you know, I, I'm not saying, you know, he's, it, it's really hard to evaluate offensive line. You can tell in general, like the running game is not working. Things aren't, you know, it's not great, but is it Tim Drevno? Is it, you're not practicing it enough in, mm-hmm. in, in practice and that, is that coming from the head coach or is that coming from Graham Harrell? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but Tim Drevno could be like a problem. Like I'm not saying he is or isn't, but it's. I think that's a smaller problem compared to the bigger one overall. And when you got all those kind of big problems on the team, it, it you have to go to the top and go to the head coach. Mm-hmm. And I know I go on this soapbox at least once a month on this podcast, but I cannot tell you how much it changed US the course of USC's offensive line when Clay Hilton kept on Neil Calloway after the Cotton Bowl game after that season, the 2017 season, because we all knew that there were deficiencies in the trenches. And yet Neil Calloway came back as a poor recruiter and a poor offensive line coach. So then you don't have guys replacing um, the the five-star talent, the four-star talent that you had. And now you have bad development, player development over the course of years. So it's, it's a chicken or the egg, but it's a problem where you're kind of lying in that bed right now. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you there. Um, there were changes that needed to be made earlier you know, and weren't. And you're sort of like we're a knee-jerk reaction to making some of these changes. And that's where you are uh, right now. But, you know, you've you've already swapped out the offensive line coach, you know, once. Uh, you want to do it again in like two years later? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. But, I, Paul, I just don't think that's like the end-all solution to like, okay, you, y'all, you replace the offensive line coach, then everything's going to get better. Like it's, you know, there's a culture in the team and that's, it's not coming from, from Drevno. It's coming from Clay Helton. Mm-hmm. Exactly. On that note, Ryan, I'm going to go to an email that we got from Mike from full Shear, Texas, who also ended his email with hashtag team stock neutral. So shout out to Mike MVP of the Ooh. pod already. Uh, so he wanted to explain, I know in the mailbag ex- extravaganza, we were talking about how we didn't really fully understand why fans were, really latching on to replacing Graham Harrell. So he tried to explain uh, for those fans, including himself. He said, Ryan, you're confused about the fans' focus on replacing Graham Harrell. So I'm trying, uh, I'm going to try and use your house for sale analogy to explain it to you. We want to sell our house for the most money possible, but that would require $100,000 in repairs, but we only have 20000 Do you shrug your shoulders and sell the house as is, or do you slap a new coat of paint on the house, get new carpeting, and use the $20,000 to slap some lipstick on the pig and hope you therefore can sell the house for $40,000 more more than if you did nothing? Personally, I would like to try and pocket that theoretical extra $20,000. I think those of us in the, quote, replace Graham Harrell camp all agree that replacing Clay is the correct move. But you also convinced us that that isn't going to happen before the 2021 season. So we need some hope going into the next season. Personally, I just need SC to make some improvements so that I can fool myself into thinking that the 2021 season won't be a disaster as we wait out Clay's buyout. As an 86 SC grad, I don't have the option to declare that I no longer support our Trojans. Fight on, Mike from Full Shear, Texas. Uh, thanks, Mike, for that one. Um, not sure I 100% get uh, the analogy. Is is Graham Harrell 
the twenty thousand dollars. I mean, I'm not sure. Like, is replacing Graham Harrell like the twenty thousand dollars in, you know, the lipstick and new carpeting and stuff? Is that what he's talking about? Do you do you get it? I think so. He I, he's saying that investing some money in a new coordinator would make the the house that you have to be in a little bit more manageable. I think. Gotcha. Someone, someone tweeted at us, tweeted at us last pod that we used too many analogies. So apologies for I think it was Judy who tweeted at us. So sorry about that. We're already into analogies in the podcast, but we're I, trying. I like analogies, and you. you I know, know you do. I'm sorry people don't like them, but like, <laughs> this is this is our show. We do what we want. <laughs> no, we we're listening to you guys, but See, I mean that's he, that's who I am. It's true. Yeah, it's it's your brand. The, here's the thing about Mike's email is I think this analogy or what fans want in Graham Harrell is what you already tried to do with a defensive coordinator replacements. That was kind of the, the renovations when you can't sell the house, you know? And the problem is that that experiment failed to a certain degree. I don't think Todd Orlando failed, but I think having a successful season under USC at USC failed. So the obvious solution is to replace Clay Hilton, but you can't, or they're not willing to. So what do you do now? I just I think you're just wasting effort, time, and money by trying to get rid of Graham Harrell at this point. Yeah, and I, so if we want to stick with that analogy, is okay. You have twenty thousand dollars to uh, trying to fix up the house a little bit. So this is replacing Graham Harrell. The problem is you're like, okay, what we want to do is um, there's this awesome. You know, we were gonna do uh, I don't know. We're gonna replace the granite in the kitchen. And, uh, it'll be, and, and repaint the cabinet. So you're going to like kind of redo the kitchen over a little bit, not like full redo, but you're going to do just, uh, enough. The, the big selling point though, for the house though, was the kitchen. So you're putting your $20,000 into the thing that's already the big seller. And Graham Harrell is like, that's what Clay Holton's got. He's got an, a potent, an offense that has the potential to be top 10, top 20 kind of offense. You're replacing Harrell. Like that's. That, that's your, you know, most lucrative, the lucrative part of your uh, coaching staff. I mean, that's the one that would have the potential to be hired by somebody else. Um, you know, it's the, the it's too early on, you know, uh, Todd Orlando and stuff. But Graham Harrell is someone that, you know, people are going to interview for head coaching jobs. So you, you put some money into the house, but you might be fixing the wrong thing. And then you make the house worse, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I would say that if this was the kitchen, it sprung a leak this season a little bit. It caused you some, some issues because if, right, you, didn't, yeah. if you didn't spring, spring the leak, then the house probably would have been fine. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was, uh, that, no, I think that's true. I mean, there was, uh, there were some great moments, you know, like that first quarter against Washington state and stuff. So there's like the, you see why people love the kitchen, but it wasn't, it didn't, the kitchen didn't perform as, as well. Like you said, there were some leaks, uh, you know, <laughs> Maybe the, the, you know, the, the dishwasher doesn't get your stuff clean. Like whatever it was, it was like, oh, it's a beautiful dishwasher. Like it's stainless steel. It looks awesome. But then, you know, you take the dishes out and there's spots all over them and it doesn't get them clean. And you're like, oh, well, it used to get them clean. I don't know why there's not getting them clean now. So yeah, but that's a, I, I would say Graham Harrell's sort of like the feather in, in Clay Helton's cap. Like that's like his ace in the hole. And if you're trying to replace that, like I'm, I think the whole team would be lost. Like I think. You know, I don't know if you're going to get someone better uh, to come work uh, for Clay Helton at this point, but yeah, you know, I like the analogy. Try good. Uh... <laughs> a, a a for effort, Mike. Hold well on. Yeah, nice, Mike. 
Um, so, you want to do another email? Sure. We actually have a text, I believe, from L.A. Fred, who said uh, he has two questions. One, how many guys do you see entering the transfer, quote unquote, porthole? Shouts to Gerard Martinez. And then two, do you see any surprises in terms of guys deciding to come back for another year? Seniors or draft eligible guys? Thanks. Love all your content. L.A. Fred. Thanks, L.A. Fred. Um, let's see. So surprises uh i mean i think they're probably gonna be some surprises like it just it just kind of happens that way um i think you're gonna see we've seen two enter the the porthole uh so far um i'm guessing there's gonna be more uh there'll probably be some surprises there's always guys that are just seem unhappy the fact that marquis step is in there you know i think keely's talked about it you probably see another running back uh go in there um, it doesn't look great, you know, right now, but a lot of this is recruiting again. Coaches have to be working on these players. Um, we've definitely heard players express interest in going into the porthole and then maybe their name doesn't pop up in there or they're, you know, they, the coaches sort of talk about or they're delaying a little bit. So there, I think there's a lot of talk, uh, going on. How many people end up pulling the trigger? It's hard to say like a number. But I would say, you know, I, I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be more. They'll, you know, I think there'll be a handful of more guys, I think, that end up entering the the portal. And like Keely mentioned earlier, Elijah Vera Tucker was in there and came back out. We've seen a number of players do that. Matt Fink did it. Uh, Velas Jones did it. And then he left again. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of guessing you're going to see some more. Any any thoughts there, Keely? Yeah, I've definitely heard multiple guys that want to transfer. But the thing is, is when it comes to offseason transfer talk, it's such a fluid situation. And sometimes, especially right after the season ends, it's a little bit of a just emotion flare up. And then they get more settled in with the coaches or they the coaches work on them. And then they 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 kind of back off of that. So it's a fluid situation right now. But I've definitely heard that people want to enter the portal not in a mass exodus way that i think twitter wants to suggest but some some people are frustrated and and you see that when you have a season kind of end the way it did um this season so it's a fluid situation but i'm expecting more people to enter the the porthole if you will yeah and you know like i said there'll probably be some surprises as far as like guys coming back i might be surprised if tyler vaughn's comes back yeah. For another I, year. That would but, be yeah. but then maybe not. <laughs> I could talk myself out of that because, you know, the, the bright spots of Brie McCoy and Drake London, um, it just seems like it's their time to kind of take the reins. But then, you know, Tyler, I don't, I don't know what else Tyler has to, to show or prove in that sense. Yeah. It would mostly just be about setting records. And then you're yeah. just like, why are you, why are you doing that? But, you know, if you do that, you do that. Um, but yeah, well, thank you for that, LA Fred. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an email from someone. I don't think we had their name in it. Maybe it was clipped off. So apologies, but they were, they said, so you're telling me the players and coaches were in agreement and opting out of the bowl game. I think you need to get some off the record quotes on this one. Let me see. Half of the ta- half of the staff is from Texas. A good portion of the players are from Texas. They have multiple commits and prospects from Texas. They would have played in front of family and friends in Texas. And cherry on top, they would have played against the king of Texas, the University of Texas. I think, to be blunt, the administration and Helton flat out did not want to play this game as they think they would get embarrassed and did not want to deal with the aftermath. I don't think this was the reason they opted out. I really think this was the reason. Your thoughts? 
So uh, first off, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Off the record quotes, it's that's not really a thing. Like you can get a quote, an anonymous quote, but there's not like an off the record quote. But the thing is, is that I was hearing from the the player sphere and kind of that whole team sourcing sphere prior to USC even losing to Oregon that they weren't really feeling like a bowl game um, if it wasn't the Fiesta Bowl. So it wasn't, it, it, I don't know. It. I can tell you that, and the war room went over really poorly and people thought that all, that sourcing of that, that news came from Heritage Hall. It did not come from Heritage Hall. It was team sources uh, who definitely uh, talked about how they were just very burnt out. Their players are not professionally played. They're the only ones on campus. School has been out since November. I went into this on the last podcast, but there was really a sense of burnout from the players. And now, if they were in the Fiesta Bowl, I think we would be covering that. I think they would want to play. But if you have nothing to play for, you don't have a prestigious bowl, I think they were very burnt out and they didn't want to play in it. The problem is that I don't think they were expecting the blowback that happened. Once they said that they were opting out and they opted out pretty quickly after the loss. And so the sources that some of the sources, when I circled back, kind of changed their tune a little bit because I think the blowback uh, got to them a little bit. So that's, I think, why some of the rumors popped up as to, oh, well, they didn't have a choice, et cetera, et cetera. The players just were burnt out and on the whole didn't want to play in a non-prestigious bowl, pretty much. So that's that's my sensing of things just from the sources I've talked to. And that was a Troy Trojan, Troy Trojan that sent oh, there you the go. Uh, email. Uh, thank you for that email. And I don't think the, the issue is, though, I don't think USC knew who they would have been playing in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, I, I, Texas, I think, was a name that was mentioned. But there was more like people thought maybe Iowa State. Well, that was going to be for the uh, Fiesta. Um, we've heard like Indiana could have been in the Fiesta. I mean, there was... The bowl projections, I don't think, if you knew it was going to be Texas, um, you knew it was going to be in Texas, but you didn't know it would be against the University of Texas. So I don't think that's something that they were like, oh, we want to avoid that. Did the, you know, I, I think like what Keely was saying, I think all that's true, but I do feel like the blowback that they got, not from, you know, the, just the opt out, really from the game itself is what you know, part of this is that, you know, just they're five and oh, um, you know, Clayton was doing his thing and talking about the one and oh every week and all that stuff. And you didn't have to play the first place team in either division. And I think they fully expected to win that game. I think USC and, you know, you saw what, uh, Dante Williams tweeted or, you know, he talked about on Trojans live, um, taking back the West and all that kind of stuff. I think, they were really disappointed to lose that game. And I don't think, I, I don't know if anyone could have anticipated the, the, just the fire that were coming out of USC fans after losing that game. And I don't blame them. I'm not saying that they were out of line. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they're somewhere, but there was, <laughs> there was real fire. Like, and yeah, I don't think the, anyone in, on team wise anticipated that. No. And it sort of reinforced like what Keeley was saying. Like they felt like, all right, we need to uh, not playing in the Fiesta Bowl. There's there's really no point. And then seeing how bad it was, and then knowing you were going to play a better team in the bowl game, and you know, be fair, likely lose. <laughs> Just, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I don't think they were going to sign up for that either. But I think there was just a lot of factors in there. But the, it's not like the 
players not or being burnt out was not real and this was a cover up. It was I think what you're saying is true. I don't think the administration wanted to put, you know, Trot Clayhelton out there again and have him do more media and all that stuff. We haven't heard from him since the game um, yep. outside of Trojans Live. We probably won't hear from him until signing day. Um, that's just kind of the way they do things. If you had a bowl game, there would have been a lot of talk. And, you know, there would have been talk about, you know, oh, this is fun. You're going to the Fiesta Bowl and you won the Pac-12. It's about you blew it, you know, and how how did you lose to the second place team and not even the first place team and all that stuff. All those things you said, the take back the West, all that stuff would have been kind of thrown back in uh, in their faces. And I, I think it was just another reason that, you know, when, when they saw how poorly received the lost Oregon was, they didn't want to have another one of those on this season, just sort of like cut bait and move on. Yeah. I think that's really what it was. And, and to explain the player's mindset doesn't necessarily mean that it's like, Oh, that total, that's totally the right choice. And we agree. I'm just explaining what I was told and what I've heard from sources. So that's just what it is. Um, if there are other factors involved, that makes sense as well. But that was one of the main factors. And so I, I can say that from a sourcing standpoint, for sure. And, you know, people, I talked to more people afterwards. And for the most part, they were all saying, yeah, players wanted to play. But it's sort of one of those things that, like Keely said, you can kind of, you read the room, you're like, yeah, the right thing to say is we wanted to play, not we didn't want to play. But it's what's the the prominent voice at the time. Like sometimes there's there's not everyone on the same page. You can't look at the players as a collection. Like all the players wanted to do this. Like I don't think you could say all the players like a single thing in this world. Like there's there's <laughs> there's 120 different people. Some people are gonna have very different thoughts about every topic you can imagine. There's not like everyone's on the same page. I think the we're burnt out voices were were real and they were kind of the most heard. And then after, after the blowback, the sort of like, well, I wanted to play, um, those voices probably are a little more heard uh, afterwards. Well, who's going to stand up and say after the, the rage that came from USC fans, yeah, you know what? I actually wanted that. And they're the right being mad at me. You know what I mean? It just People don't really do that. <laughs> you know, people yeah. aren't willing to be like, yeah, that really unpopular take. I had that idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just doesn't work that way. It does not. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of where we are now. Why don't you want to, I'm going to do a voicemail. That's okay, okay. Keely. Yeah. Uh, our, so this is our buddy, uh, Curtis from Marino Valley. Let me play it for you. Hey guys, this is oh. Evan from Tempe. Um, you know what? I bas- that was not Curtis from Marino Valley, but let's play Evan from Tempe. So I, my apologies. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll go to Curtis later. Hey guys, this is Evan from Tempe. Um, I basically want to know, you know, I hear you guys saying that it's basically impossible uh, for Helton to not be the head coach next year and that he's going to be the head coach, and I agree with you. But um, I just want to know, is there any sort of possibility that we'll know that he could possibly get fired after the Cincinnati's bowl game and, you know, Mike Bowen wants to hire Luke Fickle and call him up and we possibly know then? Uh, if it's possible, Clay Helton could be gone, or is he just definitely going to be there? No chance. Don't need to even think about that. Uh, thank you, and I'll call you guys again sometime. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we've said this a lot. Like, I would be extremely shocked if USC made some sort of move. I, you know, we talked about this before the season. It would take a, a disaster kind of turned into a disaster, a five and one disaster, which is weird, but you know, it was definitely, 
disaster status, you know, after the uh, Pac-12 championship game. But I wouldn't be holding my breath for Luke Fickle to, to come to USC after Cincinnati's bowl game. Um, I, yeah, I, I think USC and, and Clay Helton are going to be hand-in-hand uh, hand heading into the 2021 season. And if there is some sort of move that ends up being made, it would either be during uh, that 2021 season or immediately afterwards. That would be my guess, but I, I don't anticipate any move being made uh, this year. Yeah, agreed, Ryan. If it did somehow happen, it would be an absolute Hail Mary that it happened. And I still don't think that that is possible because yeah. you ha- you have to get a lot of levels on board. And that's something where it just sounds like that's not there, at least yeah. right now. And there's, you know, we've talked about this a million times, but it is yeah. a rather large buyout. There's a lot, you know, there's factors involved in that. Well, we actually have a question about that, Ryan, if oh, I can yeah. jump in. We have an email sure. from Frank in Sacramento who said, Ryan, can we get an update on how much it will cost to pay off Clay Helton and move on? If it was $20 million a year ago, it must be $15 million today, given a four-year buyout. Frank in Sacramento. Yeah, no, that's, that's incorrect. There's so many numbers being thrown out there. And I remember, I think Yahoo Sports put $15 million like two years ago or something. Uh, and we're like, wow, that seems really high. And like, it can't be 15 million. And I think Dan Weber was like, there's no way it's 15 million. The USC couldn't be that dumb. And then we start hearing numbers like 40 million. And you're like, whoa. And so if you want to go back and check the war rooms and stuff, we, we put a lot more detail into that. But we know in 2018, Clay Hilton was making 4.6 million. We assume at this point, because usually how these contracts work, or they do get bumped up uh, by percentage. He's in the five million range now, and uh, still three more years on the deal. But there's also, from what you know, our sources have told us, benefits that need to be paid out. Uh, obviously, there's assistant coaches and things like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's north of twenty million still. And the, once you get into the 2021, and you're paying Clay Elton for that year, it becomes a little bit more digestible. But it's not, it's not. Even then, it's not going to be super digestible, but it's certainly not digestible now unless you're, you know, you're going to put like 23, 25 million or something down just to get rid of your head coach. You're asking a booster to flush uh, a lot of money down the toilet just to try to make a change. So, yeah, that's kind of where you are right now. Mm hmm. We have an email from Alex from Chicago who says, Hi, Ryan and Keeley. Thank you for the awesome job you guys do. Thank you, Alex. Uh, even when USC loses, it is at least enjoyable to listen and watch you guys. Is it me? Or does Clay Helton always look scared when he holds his news conferences? From his body language to what he says, it seems to me that he has zero confidence in his own ability to coach. Clay Helton is made of clay. He is soft. USC needs a coach that is made out of steel or at least concrete. No more clays. This is not child's play. Heck, Clay Helton is so bad, USC would win more games without any head coach. Fight on, Alex from Chicago. Uh, P.S. Doesn't Clay remind you of Paul Hackett? (laughs) Uh, No, I think they're different. I mean, I think Clay and Paul are pretty different um paul was more of this like nfl he he definitely didn't relate to the players the way clay helton does like they're different i mean you're you're just saying those are two coaches you don't like so you're equating them but they're definitely different um yeah i mean as far as like looking scared i don't i i think he he has his talking points and that's when he's going into a press conference he knows what he's going to say. It's going to be, this is the narrative you're going to go with. And uh, he's not, you know, it, people get mad. Like, you got to ask him this, ask him this. Like, well, we ask questions like that. And he'll talk around them and say something else and say, just kind of stick to his 
talking points. And that's just who Clay Helton is. I wouldn't say he looks scared. Uh, I, I'm not saying he's the most confident person in the world when he's up there, but I think he knows what he wants to say and he's willing to say it. It's obviously better when he's, he's passionate when they win. And it might be a win that a fan thinks is ugly and terrible, uh, you know, coming back against Arizona in the final minute. He's going to be pumped up for it. Like it's like they just won the Super Bowl. And that's just kind of who he is. Um, where if you're going to look at it from a realistic point of view, like a last second comeback against a team that's now on a 12 game losing streak. Yeah. When you're the favorite to win the Pac 12, it, it probably shouldn't be something that's happening. And, but it is. But he'll talk about it like this that they fought and this, they have grit and all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, it was a comeback against the worst team in the league. I don't know if you really want to say that stuff, but that's kind of who he is. So I wouldn't say, I don't know if you feel he looks scared, Keely, but I, I don't, I wouldn't say that. No, I mean, he has his Clay Helton stick, which is just like he, he is an authentic, he tries to be an authentic, like we'll throw out some jokes and laugh in the pressers. Like that's just his Clay Helton thing. Um, and I think if he tried to be something else, it would just come across as like he's trying to be something else. So I think he's kind of in a lose-lose situation in that sense. And I mean, he's had the like tough guy, we're going to do this uh, persona. I mean, homework for everyone listening, if you're bored this week, go look at Clay Hilton's press conference uh, in the John McKay Center when he got hired. He was so fiery and so passionate. And I don't think we've fully seen that since then, but it's a different persona for him. It's definitely changed. He talked about blue collar running and all that, which is interesting to think about now at, at this point in time. But he, he's come out with fire. It's, and and the, I think the, the point I'm trying to make is you can say the right things, you can have the passion or whatever, but if it, does, it's, it doesn't mean that that will translate to the field. You know what I mean? I think that's what that this question suggests. But it's a part of the reason why... USC had the comebacks that they did is because they're, they're fighting for Clay Helton. You know, they I've heard from, from players that like Clay was very inspirational and helped them come back from, from games this year. So, you know, it's having a very like tough persona doesn't translate into wins necessarily, you know? So it is what it is. It is. And that's, I mean, that's just who that's Clay Helton. I mean, that's the guy that USC hired and that's who the, the head coach is. And he's going to, look for, I mean, that's just the way he operates. He's going to look for these positive things. And sometimes he'll say something like that, you know, that'll be, that'll echo in USC Trojan fans heads and then be reiterated over and over again when they see it just was complete nonsense about, you know, he, I'm personally going to take over turnovers and penalties. I think someone like on the Peristyle message board was made a meme out of that or whatever. It was, I think yeah. it was from like the 2018 spring game. And like, since then, you know, penalties have been awful. I think, I think they did pretty good on turnovers this year. Or they had some real bad games and some, some better games, but, um, you know, that, or like the thing that really bothered me this year is like they, they, to me, they just happened to run for about 170 yards in the first two games. And he said like LSU and Alabama, that's what they do. That's what we're going to do. And it's like, since he said that the running game became absolutely awful. And it was just like, you didn't need to say that. Like you, it wasn't like you, we've done things in practice to make sure we're going to run for 175 yards a game. Not, we just happened to run for 175 yards a game. And you assume that, oh, well, what we're doing is going to make it so we can run for 175 yards a game, even though we didn't address the running game at all. You just, yeah, you just happened to do that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. It's sort of like you flip a coin, like two times and it comes up heads. You're like, well, this coin always flips the heads. And then it's like 
tails, tails, tails. Like, oh, crap. Well, it was heads the first two times. Like, why isn't it heads again? Um, I feel like that's kind of what happened. Yeah, he definitely has bad quotes. And I think everyone is having them pop into their head right now. He, he does. And I know that behind the scenes, they've tried to work on him not saying things that are like very quotable and like age very poorly. Um, but that's kind of just who he is. That's that's it, it. Like I said, it is what it is. This is Clay Hilton. He's going to say things that age poorly, very definitive, that don't turn out well. Kind of just what it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. What else yeah. we got? We have an email from Ryan Andrews, uh, Ryan from the OC, shouts at OC. He says, hey, guys, love the podcast and all your insights. They're both on, uh, they are both honest but realistic, and it's appreciated. Don't you guys find it ironic that every schedule change ended up being easier for USC and we still couldn't take advantage? No Bama beatdown, no embarrassing loss to our historic rival, Notre Dame. Even as the season went on, it got easier. Escape from the second-best team, Colorado, avoided the North Champs, Washington, and we still failed to take advantage to go undefeated and win the Pac-12. If we couldn't do it this season, what hope do you see for next season with less talent? Trojan fan losing his optimism. Ryan from the OC, class of 08. Well, I mean, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to argue. Uh, Ryan, uh, nice name, I like that. Um, This was... This should have been USC's year. And that's why I wrote the column that said the season was a failure because we've already seen Elijah Vera Tucker leave. We've already seen uh, Talanoa Funga leave. You've already seen Marquis Stepp leave. You know that the recruiting class from 2020 wasn't great. Um, 2021's better for sure. So you're going to have some opportunities there. But to me, the overall talent on this team is going to be lower and potentially significantly lower than 2020 i mean 2021 than it was in 2020 and we know usc is a team that sort of relies on its talent and out talents people and there'll still be some talented guys on this team but 2021 will not be um you know i i don't think you can count on as much talent that for that season than you did for this one and like you said you skipped some some opportunities to really I mean, opportunities for great wins, but is that realistic? Uh, Was USC going to beat Alabama? They look like the best team we've seen in a long time. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame is a playoff team that that beat Clemson this year. The way USC's played, it's it's hard to imagine winning or, you know, or even keeping competitive in either one of those games. So, yeah, you have avoided uh, some of that stuff. You didn't have to play Washington. Um, You would have, you know, in the normal season, you would have had to play Oregon on the road. you know, not in the Coliseum for the Pac-12 championship in the normal season. So, yeah, there was a lot of advantages uh, this year. And having less talent and then most likely, you know, a schedule that does include Notre Dame this time. Now, you don't have – what did they add? Did they add San Jose State for next year, Keeley? Is that the game? Yeah. We Which, broke it, right? <laughs> yeah, we broke that, right? That we there was I did. Did I? I think I did. We, it was the the podcast with Mike Bone. <laughs> oh, the po- oh yes, yes, okay. So it was like I forget what that was. There was one that was like, yeah, I forget where I was. I broke something else that was on there. Like I was, ch- like chat. I was on vacation or something and uh, got a text. <laughs> yeah. or something. Oh, maybe it was that one. I don't know. It might have been that. I don't remember what it was, but whatever. So it's San Jose State, who pretty good freaking team, you know. I mean, it's not like that. That could potentially be a losable game, uh, but it's not. You know, Notre Dame playoff team. They're they're probably going to be good. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a tougher schedule. It's going to be a longer schedule. The more games you play, the more opportunities to lose. 
you know, there are definitely more opportunities to win, but the way USC was living dangerously, you know, you, they won a bunch of coin flips there and some that were not coin flips and still were able to win them. I mean, that 99.9% chance of, of losing that game to Arizona state, that's a lot of coins. You got to flip to get heads in a, right in a row, you know, it's a 99.9% and the USC did it, but you, you can't live like that. You know, you can't keep drawing to an inside straight and expect it to, uh, to, you know, to hit that, you know, hit the magic card all the time. And I think that USC was hitting their magic card a lot. You play a 12 game schedule. It's going to be a lot harder. You got to be better. You have to have a better base, a better foundation that you can just rely on. And some of that foundation is the talent that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be less. So you got to coach better and you got to motivate guys better and you got to play better, uh, to go through a, a more difficult schedule and just more games. Um, you know, you can't have a couple of miracles in a row and then be like, oh, the season's over. You're like, it's five and oh, what happened? Uh, but yeah, that's that's what USC's regular season was. And then the one team they played that, you know, actually had similar talent to USC, they end up losing. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not very optimistic in that sense. Um, I, I do think, though, there are different variables that will come into play. How much time will they have in preseason preparation? And what will Keaton Slovis look like in year three? Is it just a sophomore slump and he'll shake out of it? Or is this the regression we've seen from quarterbacks in this era under Clay Helton? You know, we'll, we'll see how that looks going forward. I think if you see a freshman year Keen Slovis rather than a sophomore year Keen Slovis, then I think you are able to mask some of the inherent flaws that come you know, in this era under Clay Helton. So I think it definitely, like you said, Ryan, it definitely depends on the talent pool. And some of those are a question mark going into the next season. Yeah, sometimes it feels like some of the, the quarterbacks, the more coaching they get, the less effective they are. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's sad. Like, it's sort of, we've seen that a little bit. But, I, you know, I think Graham Harrell is a good coach. I mean, I, you know, I don't all agree with a lot of the stuff that they do, but, I think they needed some, I think he's a good quarterback coach and I think they needed uh, a, a system and they have a system. You can say you don't like certain parts of the system. There are certain parts I don't like, but at least it's, it's not, it's not a, uh, a hodgepodge of a bunch of different systems. It's a, a, it's a system that he runs that he, you know, likes and he's implemented, which USC desperately needed that. Could you argue that you need a different system now? Yeah, you probably could, but. Uh, or, or the system should change a little bit, but I wouldn't say that it was, you know, Graham Harrell's the reason that, that Keaton Slovis went downhill. I don't know. Something. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I feel stronger about him being the quarterback coach than some of the other guys that they've had. Yeah, no, I wasn't placing that on Graham Harrell. I just think it, it was interesting seeing what happened to Sam Darnold from 2016 and 2017. And so I, I had asked on the family feud podcast last week, do, do we have enough, uh, data points at this point to say that like under Clay Helton quarterbacks regress. And so the, the Chris and shotgun kind of battled, battled it out a little bit. So I don't know how you land on that one, Ryan. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I don't remember like guys getting a lot better when he was the quarterback coach, you know, I mean, that's, he's, he's says he's a, you know, quarterback coach by trade. Um, I'm just, I didn't see a lot of opportunities that guys just got a lot better when they were, under you know Clay Helton as the as the quarterback coach either so yeah I mean you want to see these guys get better you know they're talented guys and you know Keaton Slovis can sling it and you saw it was a three-star guy that looked you know amazing last year and set a NCAA record for freshmen and, and completion percentage there's some other things that are going on and and the problem is 
you could say, well, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. And if there's a lot of little things going on, it still comes back to the head man and what's, you know, what could Clay Helton be doing in practice differently or in meetings or whatever it is to get a better result? Because you have some great material, you know, there's, there's great players there. You're the head coach. Your job is to hire the right people, put them around and put everyone in a better position to make that talent better. If you, if your ceiling is basically where the talent is, then you're not adding anything. Like you're just basically putting the players out there and letting them do their thing. You yeah. have to be able to make this collection of talent better and not, not the ceiling being, well, it's, it's fast as Marquis step can run. That's how where we can go. Not, you know, you got to open up holes for them. You got to be able to like put them in a better position to do their jobs. And if, if your ceiling is where the talent ends, that you're just not adding a lot from the coaching standpoint. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, let's go to a text from Jarrett from San Clemente who says, my sense is that the reputation of USC's run game is at a crisis level with players on the roster and those who are looking for a school to play uh, for over the next few years. As you guys have mentioned, touches, rotation, and involvement are the issues. Making uh, the assumption that Clay is staying and Graham is immune, there should be some movement on uh, – on the coaching staff, should they see the running backs coach position as room for improvement? And he also says, "P.S. Fantasy hire Dylan McCullough with a raise in promotion and title as run game coordinator with a little eyeball emoji." Yeah, I mean, we've seen some assistant coaches come in and players get better, and Dylan McCullough was one of them. And that was yep. the first hire Clay Helton made that wasn't, you know, uh, someone he was super familiar with. He brought in someone from the outside and it just happened to work out brilliantly. And then I forget who the next hire was. And you're like, wow, he's going to go outside again. And it just went right back. You know, you went right back to the well and, and hire people that you're familiar with already. And to me, you sort of like that proved like, you know, you need a good running back coach. What do you do? Go find a good running back coach somewhere. Not like, well, we know this guy. Let's bring in. You know, let's. I know Tim Drevno. He can coach running backs. Like he's an offensive line coach. Why are you having him coach your running backs? That doesn't make any sense. Um, so yeah, a guy like Dylan McCullough is a great example. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to try to bring him back. I think he's still with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, he is. Um, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, it again, changing out the running back coach is not going to fix everything. It's not just when you're talking about, um, you know, it's a I I think there's more of a an issue of how you run the program. And if we got to watch practice and we could tell you, here's how much they're working on the run game. Like how that nine on seven period, like how long does that go? Is that the only like sort of power running that you're doing? And are you throwing a lot of passes out of those formations and stuff? That's usually like where some of the run game happens. Are they tackling at all? Um, so I, I feel like if we could watch, we could kind of tell you a little bit more uh, of what's going on. Um, you know, at, who gets the touches, what the rotation is. I, yeah. I mean, you're saying those are issues. I'm not sure that they are. I, I think it's more about, it seems like everyone's had problems. Uh, that one game, Vivai was the only one that was running well. Uh, and we've just seen games where guys are getting touched like right away and they're getting hit in the backfield. And the only way the run works is if the running back makes some amazing play on his own. Yeah. Well, I'm really curious what the self-scouting looks like this offseason because 
in my opinion, I think there needs to be a look at just the scheme and formation wise. I just thought it was a little predictable. And if I think it's predictable, I think that's saying something because I'm not an offensive genius over here. And I also just think I, I and this is when I wish we could have had like after practice scrums because you get a better idea about this. But I was really, I was really curious just about the rotation because I do think that mattered. I think it mattered, especially for guys like Marquis Step. I know I think it was the UCLA game. He got to the corner and you could tell he almost made it into the end zone and he kind of like hit the ball a little bit and looked like he was like, oh, okay, I'm finally warmed up. And that was kind of like a couple touches in. And he's a guy who needs to warm up a little bit and you can't just like put him in randomly where USC was kind of doing that. So I, I think it matters. I, I do think it does. And I, I, I would hope that USC, for me, if you're a USC fan, that they're looking at that and looking at what went wrong in the run game and how to like revitalize that um, if, if there's not any coaching changes this offseason. Um, I think Curtis is. I can play that now. He's he's really bummed about the run game, so he left a few voicemails. But I'll play you this one and maybe give you some thoughts on some of his other things he said. Okay. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Still pissed off about Marquis Step. This is not going to be positive. If you want to fire Clay Helton, it's going to take money. Not paying for a crop duster to fly over the Notre Dame game and embarrass all the kids or have the cheerleaders cheer that they want Clay Helton gone. Are you not buying your season tickets? That had zero effect. They didn't do nothing but build more around them. They need money. How about GoFundMe? Let's start a GoFundMe account. And see how much money we can come up with. If we gave them $500 after the GoFundMe was over, they would know that the fans at least are trying to help. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis. He like completely changed his tune here a little bit. Um, That's the most like 2020 plot development. Curtis from Moreno Valley has a, a change in optimism. Yeah, uh, he his other voicemail was a little longer, and he was like, this was the last draw, Marquis Step um, transferring out. That really made him mad. He's, he's again, it reiterated he wants a run game consultant. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think that's going to work, Curtis. You, you know, this is this is Graham Harrell's offense. This isn't the gumbo where you bring in somebody else and, like, add some more, you know, different ingredients to the stew. Like, you got the, you got the chef. He makes a stew. Now, could they do things? Could he? I, I think it's going to have to be what he controls and and how they, you know, impact the run game and make a decision. Is it going to be an important part of it? Because Clayton was saying it was when we talked to Graham Harrell about it, and we're like, "Hey, are you concerned with the run game?" Like, "Yeah." Keaton completed 17 straight passes. I don't, you know, he's basically like, "I don't care. I don't care." He, you know, he had an amazing game. Well, if he doesn't have an amazing game and you can't run the ball, there's some some issues. So I don't think. Run game consultant Curtis is is all over that one. Uh, I don't feel like that's going to be uh, a thing. I don't know. Maybe it will, but it just doesn't, you know. But as far as like, you don't think not buying season tickets has an impact? Yeah. Does a, a plane flying over? I, I don't know. But it all those are things that the administration will talk about. You know, um, season tickets going down is something that they have to address. Like that hurts the bottom line. You would rather raise money. Um, that, that'll show that fans care. That's fine. They're going to have to raise money through boosters and stuff anyway, because you got to buy out this contract at some point. But yeah, if, if fans decide not to use season tickets, I think it sends a message. Now, anyone, if you get a negative message, you can look at it. 
they might look at it like, well, that's not about Clay Helton. It's more about the pandemic. So you could send a message that way and it might not have the desired impact. But um, I think as fans, that's sort of like what your, your rights are. If you feel like you're a diehard fan and you just want to, you'll do season tickets no matter what, that's great. If you're a fan that's like upset and you're like, hey, I'm going to cancel my season tickets because they're just not listening to me and they're not listening to the the fans and uh, Clay Helton is not the right coach. I, I mean, that's your money. You should do what you want. You know, we people on our message board or whatever, they're, if they're mad at something we wrote and they're saying, I'm going to cancel my subscription, I'd rather them stay. But if they want to cancel, like it's the, I can't judge someone for how they're going to spend their discretionary income, especially during this you know hard time. So I think you're sending some kind of message, Curtis. So I, I would I would put that one in a separate category. I'm not going to be upset for fans if they want to cancel their season tickets. That's your way. That's like a vote for you. That's the, the way you're voting. And a lot of people have told me like, hey, we're canceling, but we'll come back when they get a different coach. That's how they're kind of expressing their displeasure. So I, I'm not going to uh, be judgmental towards those people, Curtis. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack there. I, Sorry, I'm actually, yeah. No, 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 you're fine. I'm actually going to circle back something you mentioned about the whole Graham Harrell because he was asked, like, is it a concern that you only netted five yards rushing against Washington State? And then he that's when he threw out Keaton Slovis' stats. I'm curious if we do see more exits from USC's running backs, if that forces them to kind of go into PR damage control and if that will force their hand at all. You know, because you barely got Brandon Campbell uh, the the running back signee in the door and you're already thin on running back depth and if you're not making an attractive place for running backs to come to you're gonna have to do something to fix that and whether or not that's making a change or a scheme change or something I, I'm, I'm curious if they would try and go into damage control mode and Mike Jinx isn't Graham Harrell's guy he was Cliff Kingsbury's guy they came over kind of together uh, when when that whole revamp, air raid revamp happened. So I wonder if you could kind of make the excuse if you're USC, like, oh, well, Jinx wasn't Harold's guy. I'll get someone who knows my specific air raid better. I don't know. But I'm just curious if they have to, if their hand is forced to be more cognizant of the run issues, if your running backs on your own roster are sending you a message in that sense. A hundred percent. I feel like this is going to be free agency coming up with the the transfer rules and you're know, getting that exemption and be able to play right away. USC is going to have to try to find a left tackle. I think they're going to have to get a running back or two from the transfer portal, but yeah, you know, you're saying you're a running back. You're like, I want to go to tailback you. Well, you don't want to go to a place where they're not running the football. So I think it's something that, that does have to be addressed. I think what we, you know, we were limited what we got to hear from these coaches, but when the run game came up, there was a lot of questions there. And, you know, Clay Helton's talk about the 170 yards a game, you know, obviously that didn't happen. Graham Harrell sort of poo-pooing the, I'm not concerned that the run game's not working when Keaton Slovis throws 17 straight completions. Do you really want to say that? Like, that's not going to go over well with a running back. I mean, a running back would be like, I mean, it, you could say something like, we were lucky. Uh, we couldn't run the ball. We want to be able to do that. Fortunate, though, that Keaton Slovis was on a tear. And, you know, when he's completing 17 straight passes, that kind of helps us out if the running game isn't there. But we can't always rely on that. It's something along those lines where we're going to double our efforts to make sure the run game is working. You need to do something to kind of appease the, the the potential running backs out there, right? And yeah, I don't I don't feel like that answer did that. 
Well, the issue is that, you know, we mentioned how the only thing we've really heard from Clay Hilton was on Trojans Live, which is like a in-house radio program. When your own in-house radio program is asking the head coach, is the run game important to the offense? That's not a great like marketing tool for running backs that you want to come to the university. So and Clay Hilton said it's important. We need it when quarterbacks have an off day. You need to have a functioning run game. So that even the fact that Helton and Harrell are kind of a little bit at odds with their answer about the running game is just a not a good look. And that's why I'm very curious how they will address it this offseason, especially if you see roster changes. So it, I, it's important, obviously, and, and whether or not they fully come to terms with that, I don't know, or at least publicly come to terms with that. Yeah, and that probably won't happen until signing day, like we said. So uh, we'll yeah. try. We'll try to get, you know. I'll try to get Clay Hilton to come on like tunnel vision or something, but I don't, I don't think they're going to allow that, but we'll see. We'll, we'll do our best. Speaking of getting people on our show, we got a text from Chuck who said, stop making or looking for excuses. Clay Hilton is mediocre. He might be a good division two or three coach, but this is USC. And then he goes in all caps, need to clean house. Totally. We need discipline. So much individuality need to get the president or AD on your show to answer questions. The fans deserve better multiple exclamation points. Chuck from Beaverton, Oregon. Hey Chuck. Uh, you know, we've had um, those guys on from the athletic department, which is great. Like that's something that fairly new um, that they would actually come on and, and talk with us. It'll be a long off season. We'll try again and, uh, and see what we can do. I'm not sure if they're going to come on this time, but we'll, it was great that they did already and we'll, we'll try again. Um, you know, and I, I feel like by the time we got Mike bone on the sort of thought was, Hey, we have Clay Helton. We're moving forward. Like they, they weren't really answering any more questions about why they weren't going to fire him. Um, I'm guessing that's going to be the same thing this time. So we could get him on, but he's going to be talking about what they're going to do to make the program better with Clay Helton. They're not going to talk about Urban Meyer or Luke Fickle or things like that. Like they're, you know, the decision will have been made like Clay Helton's coming back. So his focus is going to be on making everything better, but that was his focus last year. And you can like, and so he could say, well, they won the division. They won the Pac-12 South. I think they made actual t-shirts that say that, which is embarrassing for USC. Like they're, there, that has to be a joke, but someone put a link to that. Like you could get them in the bookstore, Pac-12 South champions or something so, like USC, terrible if that's real. Is that real? USC itself did not make them, but fin- Fanatics did. And USC uh, doesn't really have control over what Fanatics makes. So gotcha. I, I looked into that because I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Like that, that makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah. If some company is going to make that crap because they're just trying to sell shorts, like that's fine. It's not like USC. You can't get that in the USC bookstore or anything. So that's good. Yeah. So kudos to USC for not doing that. Well, just not screwing up. Like just you, you <laughs> did the right thing by not, you know, celebrating that. So if we're able to get Mike Bone on uh, this offseason, I think the focus is definitely going to be on the future. And we've established that Clay Helton is the head coach and you're going to try to make things better. The issue being that's what he said last year. And could you say, well, you won the Pac-12 South, you're this close to winning all these games, but you're also this close to losing all those games too. And it could have easily been a sub uh, 500 team. So it will be interesting to hear what he has to say, because they did put a lot of resources into making the football program uh, better. And at this point, you know, you could say, well, they're five and one. Do you think that's better? I, 
it didn't look better to me. And I, you know, that's, that's for Mike Bowden's side, but we will try, but thanks for the suggestion. We will definitely try to get the, those guys on. And it was great. They, they came on last year. We'll hope they'll come on again. The problem is that your athletic director isn't the guy who, at least in, in USC's history is usually uh, realistic. The AD is going to be like positive and see the positive spin. It, it would be weird if the AD fully came out when there's still time and money left on Helton's deal and like trashes his head coach. He's not going to do that. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a weird tightrope you have to walk if you're AD, yeah. especially Mike Bone. So, right. And if you know he's coming back, you're trying to sell that to the fan base and he knows it's a, yeah, you're not going to. Yeah. yeah, it's an impossible sell. Like it's not. Yeah. You, if it's like some fan that's not really paying attention, and you can like a big booster that's just like just loves the program. You're like, oh, so how's Clay doing? Oh, good. Yeah, we're five and one. All right. And then you can give him the pat on the back and talk about all the positives, but you're not spinning it for the the diehard fans that are following this. You know, they know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to be convinced. You know, there's nothing Mike Bone's going to say. That's going to make those fans believe that Clay Helton is the right man for the job. I don't know what could do that at this point besides like, you know, winning a national championship or I don't even think making the playoffs is going to, because people come up with excuses why USC lucked out to make the playoffs or something. But if you actually won a championship, um, I think people could change their tune, but it's short of that, Keely. I don't know if they will. USC fans. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but then there was like college football playoff talk this season and people were like kind of intrigued. And I think that's why the five and one was such a letdown for fans, because there was some excitement this season. There were they made at least made it interesting, even though sometimes USC fans are pulling their hair out while watching games. So I think they're I don't know. I just don't know where the line is where people are rooting so much for Clay Helton to fail so that he will get fired. That if yeah. there is success, like how, where do you outweigh the the wanting him to move on, rather than the ultimate goal is USC being successful? You know what I mean? I I don't know how that weighs out in USC fans, and I don't know if a championship would solve that because they it's, would still be like, uh, oh, but he's still the coach. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the long the problem is the longevity of the hatred or the you know the displeasure. Um, Maybe hatred is too strong a word. Not for some of the fans, but for I would say for in general, displeasure is probably a good word. It happened with Pete Carroll, but it was a much shorter, you know, what's it? Not the honeymoon period, but the you know, the, it was like the the bad period, the beginning. And then Pete Carroll turned things around, and it, the fans didn't have you know, if you were like, I hate Pete Carroll, it's a terrible hire. See, he went six and six, and they lost the Utah and the Las Vegas Bowl. It didn't take long for you to be like, you know, the beginning of the next year, oh, you lost to like, I think it was Kansas State and maybe Washington State or something. USC loses early and then wins the rest of their games and wins the Orange Bowl. So you could have hated Pete Carroll for like a season and that's easier to get over, right? Like you can like, oh, they just won the Orange Bowl. Like they look good. Like, holy cow, won the Heisman. Um, You could turn that around pretty quickly, I think. This one is like deep, you know, this is down deep in your guts like there's like it, it would be really hard to change some of these people's minds so anything short of like a national championship maybe two like if he wins back-to-back championships maybe like okay clay helton's great I, I don't know anything short of that that people would say he was great or even if they would then i don't know yeah there's too much to unpack there because if you want to get like p carol came after hackett you could argue that helton's tenure is harder because he's following what carol set up 
You know what I mean? Like it's it's a it's a complicated subject, and I don't it know. It's, it's I don't know if we can fully answer it. And on that note, I think we need to go into rapid fire mode because Sorry. we still have more questions to get into. Uh, we have a text from Charlie from Carson who says Drake Jackson needs to be back on as an edge rusher. He was not nearly as explosive in this new position as he was last year. Looking at Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, that's how Drake used to be. Slovis looked like a deer in the headlights, watching other QBs rally their troops verbally, encouraging their teammates. I don't see that from Slovis. He's just quiet. You don't see him speaking to the O-line encouraging. He just stands there with a blank stare. Last but not least, stars matter. We continue to get three-star linemen who dominate, who get dominated by four- and five-star defensive linemen. Why can't we recruit offensive linemen? We also got a uh, text about that too, so I'm merging these questions. Uh, why don't we recruit mobile QBs? Slovis is not athletic enough to make real difference by scrambling. He never runs to get yards, and our offense is one-dimensional. So a laundry list of, of complaints from Charlie there. Charlie, lots of stuff uh, there. Yeah, I mean, USC's recruited linemen. I think they've done a pretty good job on the offensive-defensive line. It's, it's kind of fallen off a little bit more recently. But seeing a guy like Tuli Tuli Pelotu uh, contribute right away as a three-star guy, I think that's encouraging. Um, we're going to have to see where the offensive linemen go from here. But the offensive line is performing well with, with four- and five-star guys. So, yeah, are you going to expect a lot more from three-star dudes? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, as far as one-dimensional, yeah, that comes up a lot. The, 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 the kind of running plays that they're doing, it's way more effective, in my mind, when you have a, a mobile quarterback. They seem to be very averse to... To that, so I think that hurts the run game as well. Something we didn't mention, and um, you know, for 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 Drake Jackson, yeah, I think Shotgun said he didn't drop back as much, but when he did, he sort of was exposed. They they went after him a little bit. Yeah, you his best asset is going and getting after the quarterback, and you got him to do that. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau looked amazing in that game, and uh, you want Drake Jackson to have that kind of impact. Yeah, and I think the the comments about Keaton Slovis were just completely unfair to Slovis. That was a guy who, as a backup, who got thrust into the starting position as a true freshman, came to a veteran offensive line uh, during one of the games and basically said, "We're we're not losing. We're not letting the ball drop." Like he was super fired up on the sideline. He's a guy you don't have comeback wins if you don't believe in what your quarterback can do to a certain extent. You know, and so he's been a guy who, when I've been on the sidelines and watching him, he's fired up guys. He also has to talk to Harold in the booth, so he can't always be the raw, raw guy. Um, but he's not dead on the sidelines. I, that's unfair to say. So yeah, for sure. Um, back to the offensive line. Uh, just like I said, they wanted to know why uh, three-star linemen don't work out. If they have the right build, can you still build it? If that makes sense. That's what um, I mean, it's you can't generalize and just say this is a three-star lineman and that's a four-star lineman. And like there's, you know, there's three-star linemen that are, you know, six, four and 265 pounds. There's like the Chad Wheelers of the world that get a lot bigger and they develop. I mean, it's to me, it's a, it's a development position. And you it's mm -hmm. great if you're a five-star lineman and you start off and you look the part. And your you know great feet and your hips move and all that stuff, um, but you still got to get better in college. You know, like a Chuma Adoga was a five star guy coming in. Just you know, what did he perform at USC? It wasn't great. Well, he's in the NFL now. You know, and and is he getting developed there? It seems like it more than what was happening at USC. So I don't think you can just say, well, three star lineman, you do this for it's 
it's a developmental position. Like usually you aren't freshman starting right away. You're yep. a five-star receiver. You come in, you look awesome. And that's just the way it is. You have to, these linemen have to take steps to get to be productive college players. And that's where I think USC has been lacking. Mm-hmm. We have a email from John in Oakland. Um, who said, for some reason, USC's loss in the Pac-12 championship game feels more depressing than usual. It feels like a turning point in solidifying Oregon as the top football and maybe athletic program in the Pac-12 and destination choice for top-tier recruits now and in the future. Um, and then basically just summarizing the rest that he said, he said, do you uh, have any sense of Mike Bone gets... Uh, understands what's wrong and would have the courage to fire Helton in the next few weeks and bring in Luke Fickle, someone Bone knows very well, or Matt Campbell. Do you think either of these two hires would hold the 2021 recruiting class together and or energize the USC fan base? Is there any hope for USC football, he asks. Fight on, John. Uh, no, I, I mean, either one of those guys, I think. But first of all, I don't think you have to hold the recruiting class together because it's mostly yeah. already signed. But yeah, those those like just firing Clay Helton would energize the fan base. For sure. And those two guys would be great hires, I think. Um, you know, you don't know, but I feel like that. But that's not happening, like we talked about. But as far as, like, the more depressing than usual, it it was, I think, for a lot of fans. It was the expectations, the talk about, you know, pipe dream of a college football playoff and stuff. That just wasn't going to happen. We, You know, we said it's not going to happen. But yeah. ESPN still put out numbers that said, you know. But there was – USC was actually – somewhat nationally relevant, which it hadn't been for a while. Uh, you know, winning that Rose Bowl was something, but you know, you start off one and three. You're still a three loss team. Winning the Pac twelve championship was something you still lost three games that year. This was an undefeated team, even though it was five and oh and they, you know, all the comebacks and all that stuff, there were still no blemishes. There were I don't know what you want to call them, but those comeback wins, they weren't always pretty. Uh, There were some pimples and stuff, I guess. So I guess there was blemishes, but not an actual, you know, full-on outbreak where you lost a game. They actually won all of those games, and that's something that you could actually feel pretty good about. You know, I thought I told people to feel good about beating UCLA just because it's UCLA. If you lose all the rest of your games, at least you beat UCLA. That's something you can uh, hang your hat on, but... Yeah, it, it felt worse because all those little problems that were popping up during the season that didn't really impact you as much because you didn't lose a game, all that kind of went away once you lost to a 3-2 and two Oregon team that just, you know, off a two-game losing streak, they lost to Cal, they lost to Oregon State. That did not feel good. And I feel it was, for a 5-1 and one team that, like, was close to winning the Pac-12 championship, it it felt like a one in five team after that, if that makes sense, Keely. Yeah, it kind of just burst the bubble of the the kind of false reality USC was living in for a little bit that the mistakes that they didn't correct didn't really matter or didn't really hurt them because ultimately they did against Oregon. So it kind of burst the bubble of like, right, these are the deficiencies under Clay Helton and we're still here and USC still having him as a head coach. So I think that's from a USC fans perspective, that's why they were so just disappointed because it kind of burst the bubble of like what the season could have been if you looked with like rose colored glasses a little bit. So it was yeah. a reality check in that sense. The reality check is true. Like it's like the wizard of Oz and you're like the tin man. You're hoping that the wizard's going to give you like a heart and you know, this is grand wizard and all this fire, you know, all the, the tech pyrotechnics and stuff. And then you pull back the curtain. It's this little man. And it's like, Oh, it's like, 
this is the reality. Like you thought this was like, oh, it's five and oh, this team is going to like do great things. And then all of a sudden you find out, no, it's uh, it's nowhere near what you thought it was. Yeah. I'm moving on because we have an email from Dan class of 1962. He gets, it's a little sad. His, his uh, PS. So we'll get to that. He says, hi, Keely and Ryan, USC will never improve with Clay Helton as head coach. That is a fact that has been borne out over the six years that he has been here. Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan literally destroyed our football program while being enabled by a ter- terrible president in Max Nikias. If USC has to dig into the endowment fund to pay off Helton and hire Urban Meyer, so be it. Uh, it takes money to spend it takes money, spend wisely to make money. A winning team that makes alums and fans proud of USC would replenish the endowment fund 10 times over. If President Folt is unable to accomplish this need, then the onus is on the board of trustees, all 56 of them. Money should never be a problem at USC. Uh, maybe we should sue Lin Swan for his lack of fiduciary oversight when he extended Helton's contract. Fight on and please win sometime in the future. Dan, class of 1962. And then he says, P.S. I don't have many years left on this mortal earth and I would at least like to see one playoff appearance, especially since I'm going to believe what Ryan says about ESPN wanting a strong USC in the playoffs. Oh, Dan. I know. <laughs> so Sorry, sad. Dan. We hope, we hope you have many more years uh, yes. listening to the podcast and being on this earth. And, and we hope you get to see many playoff USC teams. Uh, I'm hopeful. But it's funny you said money should never be an issue. Let's sue Lin Swan, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, money is an issue. Like, the endowment is not used to pay off football coaches. Like, I, I don't understand, like, the uh, – I'm not an accountant. I don't do all the books for what USC is doing. But my understanding is – you don't just say, well, because USC raised $7 billion in that, you know, whatever fund that they were doing, that you can use some of that to pay for the football coach. Like, I, I just don't think that's the way it works. And- yeah, this came up when, like, it, there was a lot of talk about athletic departments taking hit, which is COVID in general. And a lot of people were like, especially when Stanford had to cut sports, they were like, what about Stanford's endowment? Endowments are very specifically... Like the money has to be used in very specific ways. And it's not just this bank that you can like dip into and use at your discretion. It's there's a lot of things that are specifically like earmarked that you can't really change. So that's just a endowment PSA. Yeah. And uh, I, there was, um, what was it called? I forget. There was a podcast, uh, Freakonomics. I used to listen to it sometimes and they talked about endowments and like Harvard's is the biggest, I believe like Stanford's is up there too. But it's like $60 billion or some, you know, whatever. And it's, it's basically like this enormous hedge fund. And there's people that manage the money. The man, the money's not sitting under a mattress. It's not like you have $60 billion or whatever it is sitting in a bank. It's invested. You know, it's in all these different stocks and stuff. And apparently, like the people that would run, you know, they would charge, you know, Harvard money to run, you know, to invest all this money. And they did, I, I guess they've done like a horrible job. Like if you just put it into the stock market, just the index fund, it would have done way better than them managing the hell out of it and not, you know, and just and losing money. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, these are enormous sums of money and, uh, they're invested and worked on, but they can only be used for, for certain things. So, but yeah, I, I think, from what I've listened to on that podcast, it's some of those are handled very poorly. So they could, they could be growing those endowments more than than they have. Yeah, and as far as the whole Nikias thing, he at least tried to pay attention to football. I feel like he just didn't fully understand the whole dynamic of everything. I don't know what your read wasn't on him, Ryan, but he at least like he watched instant analysis and like Dan would talk to Nikias. So. He at least tried to understand the importance of USC to the to the university. Um, 
but that and that's not a, a in a statement on anyone else. I'm just talking specifically about Nikias. Right. He, no, he definitely would talk to Dan on this, you know, go to practice, ask Dan what was going on. He had Dan like audit one of his classes or something. Yeah. <laughs> he was definitely involved in, in that kind of stuff. It just seemed, you know, looking back now, you know, having that $6 billion, uh, you know, fundraising target was interesting, but it just seemed like the whole focus was of the university was making money and they overlooked a lot of things that were going on because the most important thing was to make money. And, uh, I think, you know, when he announced that they were going to have a, was a search firm to, to hire an athletic director and you go get Lynn Swan and you're like, you, you literally like, there's no search firm in the world that would say Lynn Swan's the best guy for the job. Like no way. Yeah. It was more about, well, he's a beloved football player that will call all the, you know, boosters and they'll remember the glory days and they'll give money to the, like, that's basically why he was hired. And the ironic thing is he was terrible at that. Like he's just not good at that kind of stuff. He would have been rather go out and playing golf. So he was not a good fundraiser and obviously was a terrible athletic director. So the reason you hired this guy, he wasn't even good at that. And it, it was a terrible reason to hire an athletic director and you were wrong about it. He was just bad at it too. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> We, everyone knows where we stand on this. It's yes. not a, it's not a secret. Yeah. But uh, keeping on, uh, Junior from Moreno Valley, he I, he must have gotten a bat signal that Curtis was pessimistic because someone from Moreno Valley needs to be optimistic, and Junior is definitely bringing it for this podcast. Uh, he titled his email to all pessimistic USC fans. He says, "Hello Trojans!" After listening to all the all of you so-called fans after the Parastyle podcast mailbag extravaganza, I can't believe you fans. If they had won the Pac-12, you'd be the number one fan, but after a loss, you leave them behind? We all know that it can be a matter of time before our rich tradition in football returns. We will get a new coach and things will change. When that happens, don't cheer for USC as you once left them behind. You gear up and play uh, three games in 14 days, one game on a Sunday, then following uh, the ruined... Bruins with a win, mind you, than playing on a Friday. We could have used that extra day, uh, Pac-12, and play on Saturday. So thanks for that. I think he's blaming the Pac-12. Sorry, I didn't yeah. read this one. Give credit to Oregon after two weeks off, mind you. Anyway, in football, there are rematches. USC versus everyone, as it has been since the beginning. In all caps, he says, "Wake up, fans, and be behind our boys. Fight on!" And UCLA sucks forever. Junior from Moreno Valley. Eggs Jr. I don't think there's a question in there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I like your rant. Um, yeah, I don't think the, the the issue I have with that, though, is if USC won the Pac-12, most of those fans that are really pissed off now was, wouldn't even be that happy. Like it just there was sort of like the expected, like, you know, it's the expected result. Like you're not going to cheer, you know, you're you're in prison and you're you're handed a lunch of like, you know, bread and water you're not gonna be like yeah i got lunch this is awesome you're just like yeah that's kind of expected usc was gonna get like bread and water by winning the pac-12 and a lot of usc fans mind and they didn't even get that they got nothing so it was way worse to get you know but they weren't gonna go do backflips for for winning the pac-12 uh in this kind of year when you didn't play the best team from the north or the best team from the south even if you had to play three games in 13 days yeah what an analogy ryan <laughs> 
You like that one? I don't know. Prison. Just made that up. Prison food. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's it's a weird one. Uh, our final email comes from Brett C from Knoxville, Tennessee, and he says, "Hey Ryan, Keely, and the whole Parastyle Podcast team, my question for all of you guys is that: Is there any possibility that USC will be getting a much better Nike con- contract deal, or are they looking for other companies? Love to hear your guys' thoughts, especially with the new athletic department administration. Keep up the great work. Love the show. Plus, Chris Trevino makes me laugh as well. Thanks and fight on." To victory, Brett C. Brett, I texted that to Chris, and he's very happy, and he says thank you. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the email, Brett, in uh, Knoxville. Yeah, I, you know, it was a bad deal. And from what I understand, is Nike's not as big on, they're big on product and less big on giving a ton of cash. I think the deal that they did, um, you know, the Jordan deal they did with UCLA, is more about product and marketing than it is about cash. And I think USC probably wants to try to get some cash in there. Now UCLA signed the best deal ever with, with uh, Under Armour, but you know, it was very lopsided and Under Armour figured that out and they had to you know, drop out of it. Um, but I think Nike's had a good deal with USC for a while. It's worked out well for, you know, I think it's better for Nike than it is for USC from my understanding. Um, and, yeah, I think they're, they'll try to use the market. They'll use what they can to get a better deal. And so I think they'll have to look around uh, when it's up. But I don't even know when that one's up. But it's it was one that was way too long. It just wasn't as lucrative as it could have been. I think the thing that should be exciting for USC fans is, that, and I think you give this sense too, Ryan, is that this new administration at least is understands things a little bit better and understands like where they are in the market and what the type of, uh, power the USC brand wields. So I think they'll be much more aware and are more open to looking at other avenues and things like that. So it, it's, it will be better just in the sense that I think they're more aware than those who made the, that initial Nike deal. Yeah. There's not going to just be like, Oh, Nike, you give us this fine. Yeah. Like they will look into things and they will yeah. try to get the best deal possible. So I feel pretty confident. It's a good point, Keely. Yeah. That's it, Ryan, for the show. Wow. Okay. Well, we did it. <laughs> good stuff. We did another mailbag extravaganza pretty much. So pretty uh, much. Yeah. With little newsy stuff in the beginning. So, uh, well, thanks everybody for, uh, tuning in. Thanks Keely for getting through all those questions. There was a lot of them there. And, uh, yeah. but we, we appreciate everyone sending them in. Yeah. Uh, we'll try to get, um, Harvey Hyde next week back and then we'll do a show as well. Uh, yeah, we'll get back to doing probably once a week uh, tunnel vision shows too. So we'll get all that stuff kind of back rolling here in the new year. But that's Kili I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 
Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.